With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Lapse Factor Podcast. What is up, College Across fans? You're watching episode number 239 of the Lax Factor Podcast. I am your host, Ted Hoost, and today we are going to talk about uh, some games that are being played tonight, Wednesday night, as well as Friday night slate, as well as Saturday and Sunday's slate. Before I get into that, as always, be sure to like and subscribe, hit the notification bell, share the crap out of the podcast with your friends, and you can go to laxfactor.com, watch our videos there, get yourself swag related to the podcast, get yourself non-podcast related lacrosse swag, and that's it. I'm going to shut up, and I'm going to talk about the uh, first game on the slate here that I'm going to talk about. As always, I'm going to try to hit Syracuse whenever it's relevant, and this week, Maryland hosting Syracuse in College Park is very relevant. Now, terrible news coming out of College Park before I get into this, and uh, it was just uh, kind of announced, I think, late last night that Logan McNaney, the All-American goalkeeper for Maryland, the kid has played in two national championships, won one of them last season. He is now out for the year with a torn ACL, so T's and P's from the Lax Factor family out to McNaney, uh, the Terps and his family and everybody like that. That's terrible news. Now, the one thing I will say for Maryland is I've already seen a lot of people talking about how that's you know that's going to wreck Maryland's season. And I've even heard people talking about how, as unfortunate as it is, it bodes well for Syracuse in the matchup here, which some people would say that's terrible. I mean, that's sports. You know, people people really want their teams to win, even sadly to the point of sometimes being relieved that they don't have to play an All-American goaltender. I'm not one of those guys I would have liked Syracuse to have beaten McNaney in net. Now, one, the one thing I will say, though, McNaney's replacement, Teddy, I, I presume it's going to be Teddy Dolan, uh, the transfer from Merrill, uh, from Binghamton, he is a very capable goalkeeper. I believe he put up 54% save percentage in 2022 for Binghamton. And uh, that was a 5-9 and nine lacrosse team. So similarly to how you see like Hinks and Georgetown potentially going to improve his save percentage after transferring to Georgetown. You've seen Will Mark already play well, play better in terms of save percentage than he did while he was at LIU. You could see Teddy Dolan step in cage and do very well for Maryland. So that at least bodes well for Maryland, but it, it is terrible news that McNaney's out. Now let's move on from that and let's talk about the matchup. This is one of those games that I hope... Syracuse worked this into the schedule as a matter of pride because you've got to play the best to have a shot at being the best. Now, considering Maryland has won two of the last five national titles, Virginia's won two of the last four, it makes sense a storied program like Syracuse would want to have the Terps on their schedule annually. Now, this could just be a two-contract, you know, hey, we play at your place, you play at ours, and it could be done. So it could just be a two- to four-game contract or something like that, but I would like to see this one on the schedule for years to come. And it makes sense with Gates tied to Maryland as the longtime women's coach over at Maryland. The truth about this game, both teams badly need a win in order to bolster their non-conference schedules. I'm not calling this a must win, but for both of these teams to pick this win up is going to be huge for their at-large bid chances. Maryland has not needed 
They have had zero need for an at-large bid the last couple of seasons here. This may be the season that they might need to pick up an at-large. And beating Syracuse right now, who's sitting at 3-0, and plays in the ACC, getting a win over Syracuse for Maryland would be big, and vice versa uh, for Syracuse. Keys for Syracuse overall. Do anything possible to limit Luke Weirman's success. If we look here... Weirman so far, 72% on the draws. Johnny Ritchie, USA, as I'm going to call him. Rakusa, that's one way to pronounce your name, but we're going to just start calling you Ritchie, USA. And if you don't grow out a mullet and start wearing American flag attire, then you're dead to me. But, uh, you know, 50%, he's been serviceable for Syracuse, but he's not. he hasn't faced anyone of the likes of Luke Weirman yet, which he's about to do. So anything they can do to limit Weirman, even if they could win 40% of the draws, that would be a plus for Syracuse. Now, with that said, Maryland won 82% of the draws against um, Loyola in their loss last week. So even though Maryland absolutely just put the hurt on Loyola at the faceoff dot, Loyola still won that game. Maybe that was because McNaney was hobbled. That that could now that obviously explains McNaney's rough outing against Loyola after being like eighty percent in the cage against Richmond. So just limit Weirman's success. That's all you all you can do. You can't stop him. You can only hope to contain him. They need to do that. Uh, another key thing here, and this was my note, was get quality shots on McNaney early and often. Not going to be McNaney. Get quality shots early and often on whoever the hell is in cage. If you if it if it ends up being Teddy Dolan, nothing could bode better for Syracuse than putting a few shots past him early, taking an early lead. He will eventually settle in. Listen, Teddy Dolan is not going to by any means have a rough game. I do not foresee him having a save percentage below fifty in this game. He could stop sixty percent of his shots in this game. I'm just saying, get shots on him early. Get shots on him often. Another key here for Syracuse is going to be attack their short stick D middies. Loyola did a good job of attacking Loyola's defensive midfielders throughout that game. Syracuse has enough mids that can dodge. You got guys like Burt Whistle, Leo, Finn Thompson. There's a couple others that can at least get a dodge in on those short stick D middies. If the defense is trying to pay extra close attention to them and provide them help, which is going to be one of my keys for Maryland, then even a dodge that doesn't necessarily beat his man could at least draw half a slide. Syracuse needs to get Maryland and force them into shifting that defense at least halfway to try to, you know, making them think they might have to slide. And then that will help them with those two dodges, the dodges off the backside after that initial dodge. So I think if you're going to dodge on a pole, do it mixing with the short stick D mids. Play a little bit of a two man game uh, where you got a, a short stick D mid setting a pick for an attackman dodging on a pole. You could end up with some switches and scenarios like that. So just attack the short stick D mids all over the field, out top, wings at X. That's what Loyola did, and it worked for them. And Syracuse is going to want to do the same thing. Do a better job of protecting goalkeeper Will Mark. Despite only giving up 15 goals over their first three games, the competition hasn't been all that tight. Syracuse has actually given up 19 shots per game over the first three games, and I'm talking 19 shots on cage. And uh, this has forced Will Mark into having to make 36 saves over those three games. That gives him a 7.06 save percentage overall. It's going to be tough to stop 70% of the shots that Maryland takes on Saturday, meaning the Syracuse defense is going to have to have the best game they've played so far, and they're going to have to limit shot attempts or at least contest as many shot attempts as they possibly can. They've done a good job of that so far against lesser competition. Now they have to do it against the reigning national champions, the Terps. 
play team offense, keep the ball moving. And to win over Holy Cross, I liked how they played against Albany. I even liked how they finished against Albany. I liked how the bench finished against Albany. What we saw a little bit, I feel, against Holy Cross was the first half was good. Second half took a couple steps back, I think, in terms of that offensive flow. I think they kind of started thinking, hey, I got to get myself a point now. And you saw some dodges towards the, you know, in the second half of that Q's game against Holy Cross that I do not think were good practice for trying to take on a team like Maryland. As long as that's all that was, a dude trying to get his, and that doesn't play into any type of, of you know, doesn't flow into this Maryland game at all, Q's should be okay. But make sure they keep the ball moving, play good team offense like they have, that should be good for their momentum. Now, keys for Maryland. Slide to your short stick D mids more often. I think there's no way around it. This may already be built into the Terps philosophy here. They've been able to get away without sliding all that much in the, you know over the last two years because of how how tight that short stick D mid unit plays. Um and they never, almost never slide to their long poles. So this year, you're going to have to see them probably play a little bit more into their slide packages here than they've had to. So get those short stick D-mids help if they need it, which I assume they're going to. And uh, that should kind of help the, the new goaltender uh play a little bit better get shots out of your ball or get better shots out of your ball carriers uh the Kelly the Dannys Danny Kelly and Danny Maltz are both shooting lights out for Maryland so far 45.5 and 50 percent respectively the rest of the team is shooting poorly Kyle Long two goals off seven shots that's 28.6 percent Owen Murphy four goals off 14 shots 28.6 percent it's still early the, you know we don't have a whole hu a huge uh sampling of shots yet for these guys but they need to be more efficient because it's going to be tough to uh, score cheese goals against a good goalie like Will Mark. And put your shots up top. Will Mark is a flopper. Flops all over the field. If you're Maryland, I would go. I would come with the high heat early and often. I would come with a lot of low to highs early and often. I think that might you might be able to snipe a couple easy goals early off of Mark before he has to adjust his play. Uh, be physical in and around the crease to pr protect who was originally McNaney, but in this case probably Dolan from doorstep goals. Syracuse has been very good at getting shots all up in the keeper's face so far this year. So given that McNaney's coming off a t or not McNaney, I see you can tell him read my notes. Given that now they have a new keeper here in cage, whether it was McNaney or not, they're going to want to protect that doorstep against Syracuse here. Against Vermont, Albany, and Holy Cross, the Orange were able, able to pull off some really in tight. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. A Canadian slash box-esque type offense, almost to the point where it seemed a little chaotic. You even saw a couple of situations where Cuse guys got in trouble and were able to kind of hit a feed, maybe semi across crease, and then that guy bumped it to someone else. But it seemed like, hey, you, you would get the feeling, oh, they're in trouble because they're really pressing the middle of the field, trying to get into the middle of the field, and the help would come. They'd end up somehow just getting a pass off to a guy that's only like three feet from him, uh, a la uh, – Petro used to talk about playing that that drill where they would keep everybody inside the three-point line or a region like that, three-on-three three or three-on-two, and guys would have to use tennis balls and crap. It looks like Syracuse may have been doing that because they've been really good in close quarters, in tight, 
they're going Maryland I think is going to be much more equipped at taking the ball away in those situations where those plays kind of worked out for them against the first three teams they played Maryland should be able to put some of those balls on the deck and get up uh and out in transition but they're going to have to be really physical when Syracuse is trying to play that in tight kind of box slash Canadian game because they they've been doing that quite a bit here Win faceoffs, limit transition play. That's another one for Maryland. Obviously, they got the best faceoff guy in the land in Weirman, so they should be able to win faceoffs. But Loyola had a little bit of success with uh, pushing transition. Syracuse is obviously going to push the ball in transition. Carter Rice, short stick D mid for Cuse, has two goals and a helper already in three games. Sam Alexo has one goal and two assists. They're LSM in three games so far. So limit that transition for Maryland. That's what they're going to want to do. And then Maryland's also going to want to take care of the ball offensively and then find matchups where they can finally win some one-on-ones they they haven't they, they haven't figured out who their ball carrier is going to be yet, at least over these two games and who is going to be consistent who's going to be able to consistently draw a slide they need to do that against Syracuse they need to attack the Syracuse short sticks but I'm not convinced that I, I guess Maryland doesn't have the best dodging attackmen, so I, I think really it probably will be key. Attack this, I mean, and this is key in every D1 game. Every D1 team tries to attack the short sticks. I think in a game like this, both teams, the weaknesses are probably at that short stick D mid spot, so both teams need to attack the ever-living hell out of them. I think there's a chance this is a very good game. With Mac- McNaney and Cage, I had a feeling that this actually could go Maryland's way even by a margin because I think the kids for Syracuse could kind of be young and too easily excitable on a stage like this. So maybe that excitement plays in. And when you have a veteran goalie like McNaney, he starts robbing the young guys. The rob- the young guys start kind of getting in their own heads. But uh, after seeing Maryland pick or Loyola pick Maryland apart, both on offense and defense, I feel a lot better about this game here. And I think that Syracuse has a shot. So I think this should be a good one, but I am predicting Syracuse by one or two goals. And I'm, I'm going to have to remember to rip through and do the betting lines here. Actually, here, we'll just bring it up now. DraftKings, betting lines, college, lacrosse. Let's see what that brings up. Okay, so what's the line on this one? Because like I said, I'm blending here the the DraftKings. Oh, I can't see the Syracuse line, so I'm not going to be able to pick that one for you. I I would stay away from this game overall unless you want to take like the over, the under, or play the spread. Money line is going to be tough because I think this is going to be a a really, really close game. But I'm picking Syracuse by one or two goals. Next game I want to talk about here, Georgetown and Penn. Uh, because Penn hasn't played yet. I don't have a whole lot to say about them. I've already previewed them as part of the top 20, so we'll stay out of that. Uh, But one thing Georgetown's going to be looking to do, bounce back uh, from a really tough loss against a very good Hopkins team. And I think for Georgetown, they're going to be looking to kind of silence the doubters here after coming out and and kind of getting their their dicks kicked in. Well, they didn't get their dicks kicked in, but they definitely got beat by uh, by Hopkins, and they did not like that because almost everybody expected for Georgetown to win that game. The loss to Hopkins showed the Hoyas offense needs to find some chemistry. It apparently doesn't matter how many high-profile transfers you bring in. If they don't play well together, we kind of knew this was going to be the case. They were going to have to gel. Now, granted, I credit Hopkins with playing incredible defense, but you have to admit the Georgetown offense spent a lot of time watching guys dodge and not nearly enough time making sure everyone got involved. Dordovic and Bundy Jr. took a combined 24 shots. The rest of the team took 23 shots. That's not going to cut it if you're Georgetown. Keys in this game for Penn. Force players whose last names aren't Dordovic or Bundy to beat you. Dordovic and Bundy are going to get the looks. They're going to put up some points. They combined for nine points in the loss to Hopkins. 
Uh, Dordovic had what uh, five goals, and I think Bundy Jr. was three and one or some crap like that. Penn should make sure they're providing as much help as possible to the defenders marking those two guys and force the rest of the team to actually perform and produce points. That strategy could also sting you in the end because if you pay too much attention to those two guys, then the other guys start stinging you on the backside, and then you it's like the um, the self-fulfilling prophecy. You you end up doing this thing to stop these two guys, to make these guys beat you, but then those guys end up beating you. So you'll have to adjust or whatever. But uh, I think the, Ho- the Hoyas supporting cast has to prove that they're for scuba. And if you don't get that reference, it means you're much younger than me. Uh, or not a uh, an Adam Sandler. Or a, I think that was that an Adam Sandler movie. That may have been a Ben Stiller movie here now that I'm, I'm thinking about it. Uh, either way, it was um, what's his nuts, uh, the guy who did uh, uh, the the a bunch of Simpsons characters. And anyway, I, I digress. I'm getting off point here. Uh, number two for Penn, let Sam Handley do his damage. This one's easy. Make sure Sam Handley's getting involved early. Make sure Sam Handley's getting involved often. Once he gets involved in a positive way, it's going to make everything harder for that Georgetown defense as they're forced to try to send help. All right. And then force Will Bowens into a situation that make him the backside help. You don't really want to dodge on Will Bowen. You have to a little bit, but you want to try to avoid that. So what you do instead, you force him into situations where his attention has to be split because he's the backside help. That forces him to do a lot of splitting his attention between the ball and his man, or not necessarily the ball and his man, but his man and the other man as, as the defense starts to kind of shift. It's that backside that ends up having to what you call split the backside. You have to split the two guys that are kind of camping on the backside, depending on the offensive set. So that's what you want him to do. You want him to have to split two guys on the backside in the event his teammates slide or start to slide. It puts him in a situation where he's sometimes forced to leave his man, which allows that player a bit of room off ball to get something going, and it limits the amount of time during the game he's beating on your best attackman. Now, Penn is uniquely positioned to take advantage of this because they can have Sam Handley work one side of the field, and that's going to force Bowen to help on the backside all day long. Now, I'm not sure. You might even see, especially once the ball settled on the defensive end, you may even see Bowen go over and, and, and guard Handley because if I had the best defender in the game and the other team has the best midfielder in the game and they're both big monster bruisers, you may want to put him on Handley, and I can't remember if they did that last season or not. Uh, another thing I might do is try to shift him around a little bit. None of the Georgetown – or um, none of the Penn attackmen – require a guy, a guy of the caliber of uh, Bowen to guard them. So you could kind of shift him around to try to put him in a position where he's the slide, he's the help when Handley has the ball as well. That just gets him in the action a little bit if they're trying to avoid him, lets him put some checks on people, put some licks on on Bowen in situations where you maybe end up with having to switch. In the two-man game, you've just switched into Bowen as the, as the um, top defender in the country guarding your best guy. So I think that has to play for Penn as well. Um, keys for Georgetown, get more players involved offensively early and don't fall victim to overusing Dordovic and Bundy Jr. as Dodgers. They're going to get their looks as the game progresses, but making sure guys like Declan McDermott, Dylan Hess get involved, that's going to be key to Georgetown's success both this weekend and all season long. Those guys were huge pieces to the George, uh, Georgetown offensive puzzle a year ago, and all these shiny transfers mean exactly dick if you are not getting the veterans or if you're allowing those veterans to kind of get lost in the shuffle. They have to make sure guys are getting their mitts on the ball, guys are getting shots off down the alley, 
Got to get more people involved. Uh, make sure Penn can't fully avoid Will Bowen. Just like I said, Penn needs to try to neutralize Will Bowen by putting him off ball and potentially putting him on the backside of the defense. Penn has to try to find ways to make sure he's putting sticks on guys, beating up guys a little bit. Maybe you put him in the scenario where he's the help and there he gets to come and just lay lumber on someone as part of a as part of a, a, a fire call or a hot call. Um, so I think that's key. You know, like I said, the Penn attackmen, they're not the type of attackmen overall that are going to kill you. So Bowen could end up floating. Bowen could end up on on um on uh Handley. Oh my gosh, I just completely stroked out there for a second. So yeah, you got to try to find ways to make sure that they can't avoid Will Bowen and that Will Bowen gets involved in this game. And then uh, the last key here is don't get smoked by James Riley. Penn lost Jamie Zuzi to graduation and the portal, and Riley's one of a handful of killers at the faceoff dot. Now, I actually said that this was a key. I wrote this up wrong because I said this was a key for Georgetown. Um, this is really actually a key for Penn because they lost Jamie Zuzi to graduation, and Riley is a killer at the dot. So if this is a key for Georgetown, you've got to make sure that James Riley continues to be a killer. Support him on the wings. If you're Penn, make sure that Jamie uh, James Riley doesn't smoke you because he'll both win draws and score points. He put up 12 goals and 10 assists in 2022. Guy's a serious threat, so make sure if you're Penn, you don't allow him to do that to both win the draws and score points. If you're Georgetown, which is what this should have been, was a, a slant towards Georgetown, uh, make sure James Riley gets the support he needs from the wings to win face-off draws and then push in transition to try to score goals on Penn. And uh, I last year, this was a hell of a game. Uh, what happened last year, it was Georgetown won 10-8 at Penn on 219, on February 19th. So a hell of a game a year ago. Yes, Georgetown lost that first game. Most of us didn't expect them to. It doesn't mean they're going. They're not going to be a good lacrosse team. They're still going to be a very good lacrosse team. They're going to be a team that most teams don't want to play. I bet on Georgetown to be tough and to give Penn everything they have. I bet you that Georgetown wins another close game. Georgetown by a goal is my prediction. And then let's see what the... Points here. We have uh, Penn at plus uh, plus po a point and a half. Georgetown down a goal and a half. So Georgetown's the favorite by a goal and a half. I don't mind that. Now, I'm not sure I'd take the spread on this one. I think on this one, even though the money's not great, I'm taking the money line and I'm taking, ooh, that over-under's right on point there too. So if I took anything in this, I would probably only take the money line. I think that there's a very good chance this is a one-goal game. So if you th agree and you kind of want to pick between these two to play that, by all means, do it. I think that's a tough one because by the end of this game, I think that the spread very well could be two because if it's a one-goal game at the end and Georgetown's down by a goal with the ball, or if it's a two-goal game and Georgetown's down by two with the ball, uh, I don't know. Either way, it could very easily go from a one-goal game with 30 seconds left to a two-goal game with 30 seconds left because the defending team that's desperate could leave the goal open and give them a cheap... You never want to lose uh, on a spread bet because they took a cheesy empty netter at the end of the game is what I'm trying to say. So I'd go money line here and I'd take Georgetown on the money line, but do what you need to, because I mean, Penn at a, at a plus 140 there for the money line, that doesn't look that bad. And I mean, this is a, this is just about a coin flip in my opinion, personally. All right, let's get back to this. Georgetown Penn, we talked about them. Now we have to talk about Loyola and Hopkins. All right. So I didn't really write this up because the Hopkins game went down last night. Hopkins. Yes. They lost to Carolina last night. I think what was the score at the end? I think they ended up dropping it by four goals. 11-7 to seven was what the score was on that bad boy. 
So that wasn't very good. You know, that makes all the Hoyas, all the uh, Hopkins fans super, super sad here. So with their win, though, over Georgetown on Saturday, Georgetown went from unranked in the preseason media poll to number six two weeks later. Or wait, no. Okay, I said that wrong. Hopkins went from unranked to number six in the media poll this week. And then uh, Georgetown went from, what, number three to number 12. Jacksonville went from number 18 to number 15. So Hopkins has been key in kind of bumping people down the polls a little bit here. Actually, Jacksonville ended up popping up because they beat Duke. So what are you going to do? But they got to frog jump a bunch of teams. And then Tuesday night, too many games in too few a days, and they end up dropping that game to Carolina. I have to kind of remember to adjust and play on the fly here against my notes. But in this game here, keys for Hopkins, continue to find matchups and dodging on shorties out of the two-man game. I feel like in the UNC loss, they the first half they did a good job of that. They ended up picking good matchups. They were still really aggressive in their dodges. They were really aggressive in the two-man game and dodging from X with picks coming up from GLE. They did all of those things good. They found solid matchups. They scored goals. I think in the lost Carolina last night, in the first half, they did those things well. In the second half, I feel like not that they took their foot off the gas necessarily, but I feel like they played a little bit more timid. And that could have been gas. They could have just had no more legs left or whatnot. But I think that that Hopkins has to continue to try to find good matchups. Now, the problem with finding good matchups against Loyola is there's not a whole lot of good matchups to find here. Mustang Sally, uh, Razanka, both very good short stick D mids, but you pick your poison here. So I think that's where the two man game plays. You know, you end up trying to get attackmen on the short stick D mids via picks and switches and all that crap and see what happens. But I think they just have to do a better job of trying to attack the shorties and try to use that two man game to find favorable matchups. Another thing Hopkins needs to do, they need to keep doing a solid job at the faceoff dot. Tyler Dunn up to last night. I wrote these stats up before last night's game, but Tyler Dunn coming into the UNC game, 16 of 32, and Logan Callahan was 13 of 20. They've done a great job for the Jays winning faceoffs up until last night. Eric Pacheco. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. He won only four of 21 draws against Luke Weirman. So it's one of those things where I feel like this has a good a good chance of being a 50-50 game at the dot. Hopkins, Dunn, and Callahan, they want to try to win the bulk of those faceoffs against Pacheco, who struggled badly against Weirman. Now, in the loss last night to UNC, uh, UNC won 60% of their draws against the Jays in that loss for uh, for Hopkins. So they'll, they're going to have to be better than that. You can't. Hopkins can't lose 60% of the draws against Loyola and not have that affect their offensive flow overall. They need to at least keep that 50-50, maybe win the better half of it, and I think that that'll bode well for them. Uh, And like I said earlier, Hopkins needs to keep playing fast offensively. I felt not that they took their foot off the gas in the second half against UNC, but I felt like their strategy changed a little bit. 
maybe that was just UNC playing really good defense. Uh, I was drinking beer and watching the game, and when I do that, I end up kind of zoning out and doing other crap. So we'll see what happens, but I think they need to be really aggressive, play fast offensively, and uh, and keep play that brand of lacrosse that looked fun in the two wins. Don't play as much to brand of lacrosse that caused you to lose the game uh, against UNC in the second half. Uh, keys for Loyola. Loyola did an incredible job in one-on-one matchups against Maryland on Saturday. I think Hopkins may have slightly more dangerous Dodgers overall than Maryland, and Jellis and Melendez have been difficult draws for defenders, and Hopkins has done a good job of finding matchups for those guys. They did not do a good job of finding matchups for those guys in the second half. There was a couple of situations where I thought Melendez could have taken shots that I think he would have in the first two games in the second half against UNC. His shot selection once Hopkins lost that flow and their swag, I think they started playing a little too timid. So Loyola is going to want to try to properly hedge picks allow for less situations where they have to switch into maybe some of those less desirable matchups. And uh, and then, you know, but like I said, on the bright side, even if Mustang Sally or Peyton Rizanka end up on Melendez or somebody else, you like their chances of holding up to the point that, a, that help can get there and they can do well. But either way, Loyola needs to continue to do a good job finding those one-on-one matchups and then winning them. And they got some kids playing, so that's going to be key too. Uh, for Loyola, get the rope unit upfield and force transition as much as possible. Uh, Sally had a goal, and Rizanka assisted Sally's goal against Maryland. They aren't traditionally guys that put up points. They're not. Your, they're really like your your. Let's play some defense, short stick D mids. But they're both athletic as all hell. They just proved in their. Uh, last game over Maryland that, hey, these guys can get up the field and score goals too. I think they need to lean into that a little bit because offensively, they're still a little bit young. They lost their two leading scorers from a season ago. So I think that by you know trying to mix it up and try to score some more transition goals and push with those really athletic SSDMs that you have, I think that's going to be key for Loyola. They also need to continue to get production out of Minicus and Haberman. Loyola lost two of their leading scorers from a season ago, and guys like Matthew Minicus and, and Henry Haberman need to play like veterans instead of freshmen. They did that against Maryland. Against Maryland, they uh, uh, Minicus had two goals off four shots, and Haberman scored – you know, he was perfect. Two goals off uh, the only two shots he took. They're going to have to both put up some points in this game in order for them to beat Hopkins. I actually spelt Minicus's name wrong here. Minicus, so I don't want to do that. Oh, man, it's because it auto-corrected. There we go. Uh, so, yeah, the, the the kids, just like we say with Syracuse over and over again, the kids need to play big for Loyola here. The kids need to play big. And then uh, Stott. Uh, Stout, I think that is pronounced Stout. He can't be as heavily relied upon every week as he was against Maryland. Luke Stout made 19 saves, finished with a 7-3-1 save percentage in that win over over Maryland on Saturday. He's a big reason, perhaps the biggest reason, that Loyola came away with that win. If Loyola's going to have a shot at making the NCAA tournament, they need to be able to win games against solid teams on a day that Stout only stops 55, maybe 60% of his shots. It's fine for Stout to be good all the time, but the really, really good games like he had against Maryland, they're not going to be the norm, and they cannot rely on him to to save their ass like he did. Prediction, I think Hopkins bounce back. I think Hopkins wins this by one to three goals somewhere in there. And then let's get back to the lines here. What do we've got for Hopkins? Hopkins... Not favored here. So second week in a row, Hopkins comes in as a goal and a half underdog. So once again, I, I kind of like that bet. I lost it last night. I lost 15 bucks on the Hopkins game last night because they lost. I may have to double down and take them here at plus one and a half. 
And then Moneyline, it's a, once again, this is a coin flip game here. So these, this is a tough bet to play. I'd be tempted to take the over on this one. I'd be tempted to take Hopkins Moneyline on this one. I'm not sure I play with the spread because once again, in a close game, like I think this is going to be one goal game. If Hopkins is down by one or up by one with the ball or vice versa, uh, you end up with a situation where that you might end up losing that bet to an empty netter, which happens more than you think. So I might avoid that. All right, let's get back here. Next game I want to talk about here. Uh, that was what we saw here. This is where I was looking up the faceoff dot uh, for Hopkins. You can see they did not win the bulk here. Tyler Dunn took the took most of the draws, and he ends up only winning forty three percent of them to uh, Carolina's fifty nine percent. That wasn't good enough. All right, next game we need to talk about here. This is the wrong game. Let me bring the right game up here. I need to talk about who is it? Harvard and Virginia. Where the hell is it? Here we go. All right, Harvard and Virginia. The, they, these these two teams. I, I keep putting in a last met, and I haven't been talking about when these all these teams last met. Uh, they haven't met since 2014. So the first one I remembered to look at that note. Uh, they haven't even played. I'm not overly impressed with how Virginia looked against Michigan. I know that kind of many were of the mind that this Michigan team's just a really good lacrosse team, and the fact that they hung for three and a half quarters with Virginia is proof that Michigan has arrived. What I'm about to say is going to cause some people to boo this man uh, from the rooftops, potentially. But hear me out before you judge me. Virginia did not play a very good game offensively against Michigan. UVA took 44 shots, only put 26 of them on cage. They played with poor spacing and overall just didn't seem to have any real offensive flow. Yeah, they scored 17 goals on a Michigan team I considered to be improved from a year ago mostly offensively, not necessarily defensively. My point, however, is that I think Virginia has the potential to be far better than what they showed us against Mich against Michigan. Now, keys for Harvard. Don't leave your new keeper hanging out to dry. Kyle Mullen is gone. He's playing in New Jersey this year, so Harvard's going to have a new goalie starting in 2023. I have no idea who that goalie is going to be. They do return three keepers from last year's team. None of them played in more than two games. Mullen was a 50% guy last year, so they don't need anyone to stand on their head or anything like that. They just need to try and make this first outing against Virginia, you know, one of the most potent offenses in the land. They just need to make it not a total shit show for this new keeper. Let him get a little bit comfortable early, and then they should be okay through the game. Uh, the kids need to show up big time for Harvard. Harvard relied on youth in 2022. Freshman Sam King, 25 and 21. Miles Botkiss, 23 and 4. Owen Gaffney, 17 and 9. Uh, they were the number one, number three, and number four leading scorers for Harvard a, a season ago. They're going to need to play like seasoned, seasoned veterans against UVA on Saturday. Got to put seasoned veterans. Don't let PD LaSala murder you is another key for Harvard. Harvard didn't win very many faceoffs last year, and we have no reason to believe that that's going to change until it does. PD LaSala had himself a game last week against Michigan, despite wearing a boot right up to the morning of game day. It could have been a long day. For, it could be a long day for Harvard if he's feeling better this weekend. LaSala won 14 of 25 draws and scored two goals against Michigan. Again, he wore a boot right up until uh, he started getting ready for the game is what I was what I understand. Don't let Petey uh, uh, beat you like that. 
and uh, you have a small shot at keeping this goal in this game within four to six goals or whatnot. And then just don't make stupid mistakes. When you play a team as talented as UVA, you have to play a near perfect game. If you're Harvard, that means don't repeatedly shoot yourself in the foot. If Harvard has too many negligent discharges, very witty wording right there against the Cavs, they have zero shot at winning this game. And that's the truth. When you face a team that has superior athletes, you have to play a superior head game and you have to not make mistakes that kill you. So Harvard's going to have to do that. Keys for Virginia. Give all of the attackmen playing midfield lots of chances to get comfortable. Like everybody says, the UVA offense is just a bunch of attackmen trying to gel. And uh, in that win against Michigan, their depth of scoring wasn't really all that great overall. So if UVA wants to be able to keep that number one spot all year, and if Xander Dixon's going to continue playing attack, and he was a very effective midfielder for them, uh, they need to be more effective. Uh, someone other than Thomas McConvey uh, and uh, or Jeff Connor need to step up. Now, Connor was only one and one against Michigan. He's going to end up being just fine. But who else is going to score for Virginia up top? I just think they need to give those guys shots and make sure they're feeding them the ball and running some of the offense through them to start getting those guys comfortable. Uh, contest more shots on defense. UVA gave up 36 shots to Michigan on Saturday, which by itself isn't bad. What is bad is 29 of those 36 shots were on cage. Virginia gave up far too many. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good shots is what the problem ends up being to Michigan. And uh, lucky for the, the for uh, the Cavaliers is that Noons ended up playing tough and he had a good day in net. Now, credit to Michigan. Also, they are a very good offensive team, but to be the number one team in the country, uh, they, um, I think UVA needs to do a better job of running with the midfielders for the other teams. I feel like that's where they got beat a lot was just not running down alleys with guys, forcing slide situations, putting the Michigan attack attack in better situations to dodge on their men because the, the, the help package wasn't fully in place by the, by the time that second dodge hap- happened. So they just need to be more physical, run with the midfielders on dodges from out top. And then once again for Virginia, don't make stupid mistakes. I'm only partly joking on this one, uh, like kind of layering it in as a final point. But in a game like this one, so long as UVA doesn't play down, they don't make stupid mistakes, they'll pick up a win. Now what the margin of that win is is going to be determined by how many mistakes UVA makes. But the truth is it's going to take Harvard's best day and a fairly sour day from Maryland, uh, from Virginia to result in the Cavs losing. So my point's valid. Don't make dumb mistakes. Stay on your hustle. And that's all that's needed from the home team in this one so they can pick up a win. My prediction, Virginia, and I think they're going to win by six to eight goals. Yeah, that's a high margin, but I'm not as high on the Ivies this year as everybody, as I was last year and as they, they played well last year. I feel like a little bit with the Ivies, there was a little bit of lightning in a bottle, similar to like a Jacksonville scenario. So some of these non-conference games that the Ivies pulled out or played tough in, I think you're going to see a little bit of a step back. And maybe that starts to, to settle in here. Uh, so that's it. Virginia, 6-8. to eight. And then what's the spread on this one? Vegas, Virginia. Sorry, I'm sniffing in your ear here. Is that one up here? Why do we not have Virginia on here? 
Oh, there it is. All right. So for this one, wow, Virginia, five and a half point favorites here. That's close to what I was picking as a spread. I, I almost like Virginia at five and a half uh, as the favorites at five and a half. I think they can cover that. Uh, money line is going to be pretty much worthless here. So you're looking at playing the over under. I'd say we're probably going to be looking somewhere near the over for this one. But once again, I don't like overs and unders because it just depends on the flow of the game and that can just change. doesn't matter if teams are putting up points in previous games. You know, every once in a while you'll hit a game where it's just like, oh man, these guys are going to play to a 12-10, you know, game or something like that. And that could potentially happen. But I would say I'd be, uh, you know, I'd kind of lean a little bit more into the over on this one because I think that Virginia is going to put up a bunch of goals and Harvard's going to have to try to keep pace. But I think if I was to bet this one, I I don't hate Virginia as a five and a half goal favorite here because, like I said, I think that they'll probably end up winning this game by the end by six to eight goals. But then again, Virginia screwed me and I lost on their bet. I, I picked them to cover against Michigan, uh, and I think I had them at five and a half against Michigan as well. So we'll see how that goes. Next game we need to talk about here. Got to close the menu on this one. It's going to be Duke. And Denver, their last meeting was last season. Duke won 19-10 in Durham. So actually, what is it? Denver at Duke. Yeah, so they're playing in Durham again here overall. And with Duke, it's just it comes down to which team is Duke going to put on the field. If Duke puts the team that lost to Jacksonville on the field, Denver is going to be in this game, and they could potentially you know, make this interesting. If Duke puts the team on the field that played in their first two games and picked them up their first two wins, even though that was against lesser opponents, Duke's going to win this game by five, six, seven goals or whatnot. Uh, I think keys here. Uh, in cage here, Wilhelm has been playing well so far. He's the transfer, so he's been tough for Duke and Jack Thompson. Jack Thompson played really well in Denver's win over Utah. Jack Thompson played very poorly in Denver's loss to Air Force. So goalie battle is going to be key. And then at the faceoff dot, this should be a good battle too. Jake Naso for Duke has been at 68% so far. Alex Stathakis, one of the better faceoff men in the country. What people don't realize is Stathakis was one of the best faceoff guys in the country at the time that Erlen came and played at Denver. And there was a point in that season where Stathakis was playing better at the faceoff dot than Erlen was when he transferred from Yale to Denver. Very capable faceoff guy Stathakis is, and I believe that in that game against Utah, he was 65%. In that game against Air Force, he was 74%. So that's going to be a huge battle, but it's really going to come down to the scorers in this one, I think. I think that when you look at the firepower that Denver has, Silstrop is, is probably not as good as easily these top three guys here. You can make the argument that yeah, I would say that. And then even like a Tommy Schelling who didn't do a whole ton so far for for these guys. I mean, Tommy Schelling's a hell of an attackman uh, in terms of being a transfer that Duke, uh, Duke picked up, and they need to figure out how to use him properly. So, yeah, they just do not have the depth here. I do like Richie Connell. He hasn't fully fit in yet in his now in his second season at Denver. Um, so I like Duke in this one in the end. I think Duke probably wins this game by five goals or so because Stathakis isn't going to be able to help Denver keep pace. I think that they're going to really have a, a good battle at the dot, but I think it'll go somewhere in the area of 50%. For Duke, what it comes down, better goalkeeping play. Duke's goalkeeper has been more consistent over three games than Denver's goalkeeper has over two games, and Thompson has struggled in the past. Uh, you know, he's, he's a good goalie when he's playing well, and when he's not playing well, he's not very good. So I like Duke in this one. I think a five-point spread, you know, is somewhere reasonable. And then what does Vegas want to do? Vegas has Duke as a five-and-a-half goal favorite. I feel like that one's a little steep. So if you want action on this one, 
I may play, uh, so you know, play the over under game here, and I'd probably take the under on this one. Just about that, that's a tough call here. And like I said, I'm terrible at betting. I uh, I didn't write up the recap here, but I went eight and three um, in the first week, and I was four and a half points up. This time here, I'm like. 10 points down last week or, or easily seven points down. I think last week after eating shit on that Hopkins loss last night. So yeah, I'm not a great better, but you know, if I was in this one here, I, I might even just take the money line, uh, it, it's a very small bet, like a one unit bet and then sprinkle in here on the over under. I don't like the spreads because I think that nails the spread down to the point where look at it. It really is a 50, 50 bet. And I don't like, 50-50 bet. So I think I'd take the under maybe with a little sprinkle of money line in there for Duke to try to sweeten it up. Maybe even bust a parlay or something like that on that to maybe slightly increase your chances. Um, the next game, we're going to talk about Ohio State uh, hosting North Carolina. So North Carolina coming off the big win against Hopkins, and now they've got to travel and play Ohio State on the road. Last year, what'd they do? Ohio State won this game 20-8. to in Chapel Hill. And I mean, I like Ohio State in this one here. Yes, Carolina just beat number six Hopkins or whatever it is, uh, but it, it earned whatever Hopkins was. What was Hopkins? Hopkins came into that game number six. Oh, yeah. Hopkins. I was, because what, what screwed me up here is I saw I, ha, I had Ohio State listed as number six, but Hopkins and Ohio State were tied in that sixth, uh, sixth spot on the poll. So, yeah, Ohio State beat them up. Yeah, Carolina's going to want revenge. They're not going to get it, I do not think. I, I, I think that Ohio State, they're one of, my, one of the best teams in the country, I think, this year overall. They haven't been tested yet, so this is going to be their first real test. But Jack Myers, I think, is going to end up being too much for Carolina. And once again, you kind of look at the depth here. Logan McGovern, the transfer, where, where'd McGovern transfer from? Bryant? Is he the Bryant transfer? Either way. Sean Goldsmith and McGovern showed up last night in the win against Hopkins here. So if they're worked into the Carolina offense, this is now a, a pretty good Carolina t Carolina team top to bottom. Where I think Ohio State wins this game, though, is offensively. I think they're going to match up better and give Carolina's defense more problems than Carolina is going to give Ohio State's defense problems because Ohio State has a bunch of killers on defense. If we're looking at goalies, Colin Krieg played really good last night. He's playing really good in cage so far, 71%. Skyler Walland, not probably the goalie that Colin Krieg is, but he is capable of having a big game here. If we look at the two games he's had so far, hanging at 50%, 53% against Air Force, only 50% against Cleveland State, but sometimes you play a little bit down when you play shitty teams. So I, I do think Colin Krieg's the better of the goalkeepers, but it's not that huge of a gulf in terms of the difference. And then at the faceoff dot, so far, Ohio State hasn't played anybody, but uh, this Drew Blanchard has been killing people, 28 of 34 for 82%. And uh, Andrew uh, Tyre, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, sorry. I'm not even going to try. He's at 65%. So the bat like these battles are going to be important. Uh, in the end, I think that they kind of are going to end up being a wash. I think Krieg will probably have a slightly better game in cage. I think that the, at the faceoff dot, I bet you it's – fairly split evenly. So I think what it's going to come down to is how does the North Carolina defense match up against the Ohio State offense? And I think that's where Ohio State wins this game. I like them to win this game by somewhere in the area of, uh, let's say, two to four goals overall. And then let's see what Vegas has. 
Vegas has Ohio State as a one and a half goal favorite. I'd actually I actually like Ohio State to cover that, so I'd probably will end up taking a little bit of this action right here. And I think the over and under, I'm not, I'm not going to touch the over and under on this one because Ohio State is a very good defensive team. And while I think their offense might be able to put points up, I think the flow of that game is going to be a little bit more controlled uh, than what we would see. So I would end up probably taking the under on this bad boy. And if I were to, I'd pr- but I would avoid it. I'm not taking over under on this one. But if I were, I would take the under. But I think I'm going to end up taking Ohio State as the goal and a half favorite in this one. All right, next game we need to talk about Villanova hosting Yale. And Yale has none of the Ivies have played yet, so I'm just going to quickly talk about all of them because I feel like we have to. Uh, In Villanova's win over Penn State, we see guys like Patrick Daly, 4-1, Austin Frazier, 2-2. Matt Campbell scored a very important goal late. Matt Campbell, one of the best best three midfielders in the country. He had four goals in that win overall. So in this game here, Villanova, Will Vuitton in cage. He's going to have to play big. He had 60. He's a good goalie. He's what I think probably a 53, 55% type goalie here. And then at the faceoff dot, what did they do? Coppola won a bunch of faceoffs as well. Like I said, I didn't see the Penn State Villanova game, so I don't have a whole lot to say about it. Yale, though, with Brandau back, if we look at what Yale did last year, I've already previewed them, but we'll talk about it a little bit. Yale has all of these dudes back. You've got Matt Brandau, who I think is the best returning player in the country. He had 99 points a year ago. He's back. Leo Johnson, freshman attackman last year, 35 and 29. He's back. Chris Lyons, another freshman, 36 and 12. He's back. Brad Sharp, another freshman, 19 and 17. He's back. Thomas Bragg, all of these guys are back. The only guy they lost uh, here was Brian Tevlin. And that's it. They bring all of their scores back. Now, Yale has a lot a lot of question marks on the defensive side of the ball. They lose Chris Fake also to Notre Dame, uh, technically to graduation, but to the transfer portal and Notre Dame in the end. So I think offensively, Yale's going to be too good. I think Yale's probably going to win this game by somewhere four-plus goals, five-plus goals. What does DraftKings have it at? DraftKings only has Yale at two and a half. I'm going to take that. I know that Villanova traditionally plays Yale well, but I think Yale is a very good lacrosse team. Uh, offensively, I think they're going to put up a bunch of points, so I'm going to take the over on this one most likely, and I'm probably going to take Yale as the two-and-a-half-point favorite because I think they are going to cover. Money line's not terrible, so if you wanted, if you weren't sure about the spread here because they, they do play tough sometimes, you could take the money line and sprinkle some over-under action on there. I'm not sure what you want to do, but yeah, I am going to take Yale because I think they're going to cover the spread on this bad boy. All right, next game. And like this one, I'm not sure. I'm only talking about this one because I think Delaware, they played good in their opening in that 14-5 win over uh, Lafayette. I was actually a little disappointed with that spread. I did win that bet because I took the spread and Delaware covered, but I thought that Delaware probably should have been in the area of 18-5 to in this game for them to, to look the way I expected them to. So, you know, I'm just curious to see how they're going to bounce back against the Mount. The Mount so far, not been great. They lost to Navy 13-7. It was respectable, but then they got spanked by Towson. So I'm thinking that in this game, Delaware should probably win by five goals, eight goals, if it's going to, you know, if they're going to just continue to look decent. Uh, Delaware... But this might be one I have to take here. Oh, my God. They got him as 10.5 goals. So, see, I'm not touching this one. I'll probably take the over 
on this one because I think Delaware is potentially going to win by 10 goals in this game. But once again, you see the Mount played Navy, what, 13-7? Navy's not known for beating people's pants off, but still, I don't think I'd touch that spread, but I think I might take a little bit of action on the over in this one because I could picture like a a 17-10 game, a 17-8 game, something like that and that puts us right in the neighborhood. So that one it's that that's a little bit too much heat though for for that one. I might not touch that game at all in the end. We'll see. All right, Army hosting Rutgers. Now I do like Rutgers in this game. I think Army all season long is going to have a hard time outscoring teams is what it's going to come down to here. Face-off battle Dugenio has been very good, but they're kind of splitting between Newman and Dugenio here. But that might only be because of they've been beating teams up pretty bad. So maybe that's where Newman's getting worked in once they get leads. But either way, both faceoff guys have performed really well overall. And uh, Will Coletti, 57% against who'd Army lose to in that first game? UMass. Okay, so Coletti, he did well. Army ends up losing that game. The problem for Army, Knox Dent, which is that is just a dope name for an Army goalie, Knox Dent. Uh, 47% between the pipes, whereas Kyle Mullen's been 55% between the pipes, a little bit better. I think what the problem is going to be here in the end, I think Rutgers offensively, you know, look at it. They're not even, Ross Scott is their best offensive player, and after their first two games, he's their tied for third in terms of being their leading scorer. So if Dante Coolis and Brian Cameron and these guys can just keep playing this well and providing Ross Scott support, they've got Sprock back. They've got Shane Knobloch. I think Rutgers offensively is just too good of a lacrosse team. They're going to be Army probably somewhere in the area of five to eight goals. I don't think it'll be a blowout, and I think Army may be the best team they've played so far, but still, I don't like Army's chances and this game does not show for me, so I can't give you odds or talk about it because uh, the, I think it's the New Jersey teams get blocked. Or is it Army? Army's a New York team, right? Are they a New York team? I think Army's a New York team. Anyway, yeah, I picked Rutgers five goals, probably five to eight, somewhere in there. But I wouldn't be surprised to see Army keep that somewhere in the area of five or under for that matter. You Albany, Cornell, I think Cornell's going to just kick the ever-living crap out of Albany on the road at Albany. Um, I've already previewed and talked about Cornell ad nauseum. I even did a film review video on why I think they're going to be really, really good again this season. So I pick Albany in this one, I think, or, or Cornell in this one. I bet you they win by somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, 10 goals, 12 goals or whatever. We'll see how it goes, but Cornell's for sure going to win, and I I only wanted to talk about it because it is a rivalry, upstate New York rivalry game, and both teams are going to be looking to take it to each other, but I do like Cornell in this one, even though they're on the road. Towson, St. Joseph's. Towson just beat the crap out of, uh, you know, won their first game by, what, 12 goals or some crap like that? St. Joseph's, not great, and I don't think, did they not cover in the game? that Nope, they did cover, so I, I had taken that one too. So, yeah, 17-5 against Sacred Heart, just like Delaware. I almost thought you might have seen them beat Sacred Heart up by even more than that. Um, but in this one, I'm taking St. Joseph's. I don't think I don't think Towson's there yet. Towson has been poor to middling over the last handful of years. Uh, they, you know, Since they had that number one, they were ranked number one in the country because they upset someone really early in the season or whatever. They have not been the same team since then. Um, so I like St. Joseph's just too much. Too much out of the scoring here. Uh, Bomber, Page, Reich, King, Anderson. I mean, this is this will end up being Anderson's going to be up here somewhere. Um, Tucker Brown's also really good. So St. Joseph's is going to be too much for Towson. They're going to beat them probably somewhere in the area of eight goals, I would say. What does Vegas have? Whoa! 
Whoa, I think I'm going to be playing this action. I like St. Joseph's to cover in this one here. So I think I'm going to be taking St. Joseph's as a one-and-a-half goal favorite in this one because I think that they could beat – I think they could legitimately beat Towson by six goals or seven goals or something like that. I think that it actually could end up being a lopsided victory for St. Joseph's. Now, I could be fronting on Towson. I haven't looked into Towson that much, but I, I'm almost positive they don't have more coming back than what St. Joe's has. So we'll see how that plays out. Princeton, Monmouth. Princeton's going to absolutely roach Monmouth. They're going to just put the herd on them. I just wanted to talk about it quick because Princeton is playing. The Ivies are, I think almost all the Ivies are playing this weekend. Not quite all of them. Utah, Vermont. I do. This one, I don't know. I want to watch this one closely because I'm still trying to get a, a feel for what Vermont's going to be. Same for Utah. They, they beat Denver, but then Utah turns around and loses to Marquette. And then for Vermont, they lose seven to five to Syracuse, but then they come or they turn around and beat Boston U, who was a, is a very good lacrosse team. So I want to figure out what each of these teams are all about, and this game may tell us one way or another. I think this is probably a 50-50, but I'm going to take Vermont in a close win is what I'm going to do here. And then let's see what Vegas is telling us. Oops. Vegas is telling us that Vermont is a goal and a half favorite on the road. That might be a little bit too steep here, but I'd prob I'll probably play with this one, and I'll probably take Vermont as the goal and a half favorite here. I'm not going to play the over and under. Vermont's had a game where they scored a bunch of goals. They had a game where they didn't. Utah, I don't know that they're this huge offensive juggernaut either. So I think if I'm taking action on this one, I'm taking Vermont as the goal and a half favorite, and I think they will probably cover. And then the last game we're going to talk about here. There is no last game we're going to talk about. Let's just kind of scroll through here and see what else we have on the slate. Uh, we talked about these two games here. We got UMass. They're going to kick the crap out of UMass Lowell. We got High Point. I think they're going to beat VMI on the road. Bucknell-Richmond. That could be a good game, and I actually like Bucknell uh, in that one so far, but that should be solid overall. Uh, what else we got? Da -da -da -da. Hobart and Lehigh are doing battle. I like Lehigh because I think they're going to probably win the better half of the faceoffs in that one. Marist and Jacksonville. I think Jacksonville bounces back, picks up a big win, probably a, a slightly too big of a win against Marist. That should be their MO here in this one. Uh, so, yeah, there's, there's a bunch of games. Binghamton going to play at St. Bonaventure. Boston U and Bryant should be a good one. Uh, overall, I like Boston U in that one. Boston U needs to bounce back because if they start 0-2, that just flips my whole hypothesis on how they were going to be uh, upside down. So that's it. I'm going to shut the hell up because I've already been talking for what here? 56 minutes. This has been a 56-minute podcast so far. That's absolutely insane. All right, I'm going to shut up. As always, be sure to like, subscribe, share the crap out of this with your friends. Come back on Sun Friday. I'm going to do a quick film review and then come back on Sunday for the whole weekend recap. I can't believe I've kept you this long. That is it. I'm going to shut up. Hoost is out. The Lapse Factor Podcast.